mouth. I let Vicky do all the talking. And uh, so, <laughs> so I'm, uh, my voice might be a little out of shape and need to get back. I need to be ease back into it, okay? So, uh, but we'll do our best tonight. And uh, if you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, uh, let's open them tonight to the book of Revelation. Uh, I know there's been some more folks that have put their name down for a series, so we'll try to catch up. I was caught up. I was caught up on all the CD duplication, but now I'm behind again. I leave for a few days and I'm behind again. But we'll get we'll get everybody. We'll get everybody. Uh, but if you want to, uh, you know, to to receive the CDs, just uh, just uh, get your name on the list back there. Uh, there's no cost. We don't put a price on them or cost on them. I have just told folks if you want to give a donation of some sort uh, toward the CD ministry to help pay for CDs and and labels, that will be fine. But we don't we don't make. We never have charged for CDs. I told somebody here the other day, I said, uh, when we kept getting these requests for more sets and more sets, and I was making all these CDs, I said, man, we could, I guess we should have charged for them. We could have paid the church off. But, <laughs> but, but there's no charge for them. And, um, you know, we freely we've received, freely give, and we want to be a blessing to you. And to uh, those whom you, uh, you know, after you've listened to them, if you want to pass them on, give them to somebody else, that uh, maybe it can be a blessing to them as well. I find that people today are concerned, they're interested in end-time events and what's taking place and what's going on and what's going to happen in the near future. And so that's what we're studying, and that's what the book of Revelation talks to us about is... Uh, what's going to take place in the future. We take a futuristic, literal interpretation. That's the view and the interpretation we use in studying the book of Revelation. We're not preterists. We don't believe that these events are historic and all have already happened and have already been fulfilled. But we believe that they are future. We are living today... In the church age, which is covered in Revelation 1, uh, well, chapter 2 and 3, actually, the church age. With Revelation 4, you remember the, you remember the outline that Jesus gave there in that first chapter and the 19th verse. The outline there was, he's told John to write the things which you have seen, the things which are. And the things which shall be hereafter. So that's the, the natural biblical breakdown of Revelation. The things that he had seen was the vision of Christ in Revelation 1. The things that are were the church age. John was the pastor uh, of, of these churches and the apostle of these churches that he mentioned. And the things that shall be hereafter were future events that are to take place after what? After the churches. After the churches are out of the earth. After the church has been removed from the earth, which takes place in Revelation chapter 4 and 1. So everything we're studying from, from right now 
are future events that are going to take place in the near future, okay? And uh, so, you know, in, 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 in our last study, uh, Revelation 7, if you remember, Revelation 7 was an interlude. Um, it was a parenthetical chapter between chapter 6 and chapter 7. And um, in chapter 7, if you remember... Uh, the seventh seal was, uh, or the sixth seal, the seals were being opened. And in between the sixth and the seventh seal, that parenthetical chapter was given in order to, to seal the 144,000. Remember that. It was God was calling a time out. Remember the four angels on the four corners of the earth had the, had the winds of judgment in their hand. And God, God commanded them to hold back on the judgment. So God had called a time out until those 144,000 Jews were sealed. And these 144,000 Jews, as we said, they were not the Jehovah Witnesses. They're not the uh, Seventh-day Adventists. They're not any church uh, group that's on the earth today. They, were, they are 144,000 Israelites that uh, will be sealed, 12,000 from each one of the 12 tribes of Israel that will be sealed, that will be marked. They will be born again. They will be sealed with the Holy Spirit. They will be uh, God's called evangelists, born-again, spirit-filled evangelists that will preach and proclaim the gospel during the tribulation period. As I said, just imagine 144,000 Billy Grahams, 144,000 Apostle Pauls. That's what these men are going to be, evangelists that will preach the gospel. And uh, so in that seventh chapter... We see the sealing of the 144,000 and then also the explaining of who the vast multitude was before the throne. There was an, an innumerable multitude of people that John saw before the throne, which were the tribulation saints. It was those who had given their life for Christ that had been saved under the ministry of the 144,000 and that were, were martyred for their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So um, through that preaching of the 144,000, vast multitudes will be saved during the tribulation period. We spoke about that and talked about the great revival that will take place during that time. Um, that those that, that accept Christ during the tribulation, washed in the blood of the Lamb, will more than likely, the biggest majority of them will be martyred for their faith in Christ, but they will go to heaven and they will be in the presence of the Lord. And that redeemed multitude, as we saw them there in Revelation chapter 7, in heaven, in the presence of God. So Revelation 7 was that parenthetical chapter. Judgment has been held back for a period of time for the sealing of these 144,000, for the explanation of who those, um, who those saints were before the throne of God in heaven. And so now the opening of the seventh seal begins. 
And the seventh seal opens, as it is opened, it begins the seven trumpet judgments. There are three different sets of sevens in Revelation concerning the judgments. There were the seven seals, then the seals lead to the seven trumpets, and then that lead, those seven trumpets follow up with the seven bowls. So there are seven, uh, three different um, sets of judgments of sevens in the book of Revelation. So chapter number 8 deals with the beginning of the trumpet judgments, okay? It begins, it's the beginning. Chapter 8 covers four of the seven trumpets. So that's all we're going to cover tonight. Do our best to get that in. And then um, the other three, the final three trumpet judgments are referred to as the three woes. So after these four judgments, and they're pretty bad, what we're getting ready to talk about tonight is not something that's easy to talk about. It's not really shouting ground at all. The only thing we can shout about and rejoice about as we read what's going to take place is the fact that as the church, we've been taken out and will not be here for that. That's something to rejoice in. Uh, in itself. Amen. But what we are going to talk about and read about tonight are the first four judgments that will begin with the trumpets, with the trumpet judgments, okay? So uh, what we're going to read about tonight's bad. We're going to talk about tonight's bad stuff, but in chapter 9 it does get worse. It does get worse. All right? So just to let you know, okay, that it does get worse. Revelation 8, verses 1 and 2. Are you there? He said this, And when he opened the seventh seal, speaking of Jesus, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. When you read these verses of Scripture... There's something that jumps out at you. And that is the fact that there will be a a half an hour space of silence in heaven. In heaven, we have already seen where heaven is a place of loud, glorious singing and shouting and praise. We read in chapter 5 where the living creatures are around the throne, the elders, the martyrs, And 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands of angels are around the throne in heaven all lifting their voices up in loud proclamation and adoration and praise unto God saying worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive honor and worship and wisdom and power and glory and what have you. But there there was a worship, loud worship around the throne of God. Heaven, as we've said, is a noisy place. Normally, there's activity going on. There's worship. We read about those seraphim or the cherubim, the living creatures that are around the throne of God that are constantly crying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. But something happens here. 
as the lamb breaks the seventh seal, it seems like the plug has been pulled and there is silence in heaven. Even the, even the heavenly crickets quit chirping. I mean, everything's still. Everything is quiet for a half an hour. This must be a first. This must be a first that there's total silence and quiet in heaven. So why is this? What's the purpose for this? Why is there silence in heaven? Well, it's not as some, you know, some, you've heard it said before the, around the Pentecostal churches. I've heard preachers say, well, that 30 minutes of silence in heaven is for the Baptists to have their service. But that's not what it is. It's not that at all. It's not for the Presbyterians or the Methodists or anybody else to have their service. But what is the reason for this silence? Well, Actually, there's no reason that's given in the Scriptures. We can, we can look at some things here and, and see what we believe and talk about what we believe is the reason for the silence, but there's really no reason given in the Scripture by the Lord other than it says that there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour, and then he said, and I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. John sees seven angels that are standing before God, and they're there waiting to carry out a special assignment from God, and each one of them is given a trumpet. The seventh seal that is loose contains the seven trumpet and bold judgments. So what does this have to do with the silence in heaven? Well, I believe that the silence here in heaven shows the intense expectancy of what is about to come on the world. That judgment is getting ready to fall. And judgment is going to increase. And this heavenly hush... This silence in heaven, when everything for a half hour is quiet, is the calm or the lull, so to speak, before the storm. It's kind of like, you know, you could compare it to, um, to, to, a, to the silence in a courtroom. If you think about a courtroom where a, um, a trial has taken place and the jury has went out and they've deliberated and the jury comes back into the courtroom and the foreman of the jury stands up and the judge says, have you reached a verdict? And they said, yes, your honor, we have. And the foreman of that jury stands up and read to read the verdict um, that is going to be pronounced against that individual, that defendant. Well, there's total silence in that courtroom that await what follows to await the announcement of that verdict. And that's kind of what's happening here in heaven. There's silence and there's expectancy. And there's, there's a lull, there's a quiet, there's a reverence as they await this judgment to be poured out upon the earth. As I, as I, as I mentioned, there was, a, there was a time out in the judgment, but it's getting ready to begin. Many probably on the earth have thought during that time out, well, everything's going to be fine now. Everything's good now. But no, it's just a temporary reprieve and now judgment is going to be poured out again verse number three now notice this i believe this ties in also with the silence that's there in heaven because it says that another angel verse number three another angel uh, 
John sees another angel. He's not a part of these seven that receive the trumpets, but it's another angel having a golden censer. Now, let me just stop right here for a moment and say this for what it's worth. There are some that believe that this angel is the angel of the Lord. You remember in the Old Testament, in many occasions it talks about the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament. The angel of the Lord in the Old Testament was who? It was the pre-incarnate appearances of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was the angel of the Lord. And um, there's, there's different te- Bible teachers and prophecy teachers and theologians that feel and believe that this angel speaking here that's called an angel is actually the Lord Jesus Christ. But he has a golden censer. And uh, he came and stood at the altar. And he was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which is before the throne. And the smoke of the incense, the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. Now we see the the. The picture here in, the th- in, in heaven, before the throne, there's the brazen altar in heaven. There's the altar of incense in heaven. And, uh, you know, the, the tabernacle, and we won't get into that tonight. We don't have time for that. But if you're familiar with the tabernacle in the wilderness and the temple as well, but that tabernacle was a pattern on earth of what is in heaven. God told Moses to make that tabernacle after the pattern that he showed them, that he showed him. And so what was, what was in that tabernacle on earth is, a, is, is actually just a shadow and a type of the real tabernacle of worship that is in heaven. So before the throne of God, the throne of God would be the Holy of Holies. Exactly. Is that right? It would be the um, representing the Holy of Holies had the Ark of the Covenant where the presence and the Shekinah glory of God was. So on the throne, the throne of God would be likened unto that Holy of Holies. Before that throne, there here is a golden altar. And uh, we find also that there's a brazen altar in heaven where a a coal was taken to be put into this this uh, censer, this golden censer. So I just wanted to 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 make that make you aware of that, so you can get the picture of what's going on there in heaven. But notice, he takes this angel takes a golden censer. He stands before the altar of incense, and he's given much incense that he should offer this with the prayers of the saints upon the golden altar that's before the throne of God. Now I want you to notice something here. That the prayers of the saints, I love this, the prayers of the saints are about to be offered before God upon that altar of incense. Hallelujah. It's as if though, and right here before the offering of this Uh, this incense of prayer before God, it's as though God says to the thousands of angels, to all the living creatures, to the 24 elders, to those around the throne, God says, everybody hush. Everybody be quiet. All heaven, be silent. I want nothing else to have my attention 
because the prayers of my saints are being offered before me and I don't want to miss a word of their prayers. I want to tell you something tonight, ladies and gentlemen, that God gives His full and undivided attention to those who pray to Him. Are you hearing me? He takes time to listen and to hear your every prayers. When you pray, your prayers do not disappear into thin air. You know, sometimes we say, well... You know, I, I just feel like my prayers are not getting past the ceiling. Well, believe me, they are. They're not just dissipating and disappearing into thin air. They come into the very presence of God, and God keeps those prayers in His presence. The prayers of all the saints of God. Your prayers tonight, ladies and gentlemen, are precious to Almighty God. His eyes are upon the righteous and his ears are open unto our prayers amen the prayers of the saints yeah that's something to thank the lord for amen the prayers of the saints are taken and they're mixed here do you notice this the prayers of the saints are mixed with much incense and uh, the incense of course produces a sweet savor, a sweet smell that is precious and sweet unto God. You know, David said in Psalm, I believe it's Psalm 142, he said, let my, let my prayers, let my prayer be as incense and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. So those prayers of the saints are kept and they're taken, and they're mixed with much incense. And the incense, listen to me, the incense speaks of intercession. When it's talking of incense, it's speaking of intercession. And Jesus is our great high priest, whoever lives to make intercession for the saints. Hallelujah. See, listen, here's the thing. You know, our prayers, our prayers, the prayers that we pray are imperfect. Our prayers, and for them to be effective in heaven, they have to be mixed with the intercessory work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Jesus takes those prayers, those faulty prayers, those frail prayers, and He presents those prayers before the Father and makes those prayers acceptable before God. Have you ever prayed and you thought, man, I just can't find the words? And again, though, this is one reason we need to have the baptism of the Holy Spirit because, uh, man, He, the Holy Ghost will help us to pray and pray through us when we don't know what to pray for as we ought. But our prayers, our prayers many times are faulty. Our prayers many times we stumble over the words. We don't know what exactly, how to pray it or how to say it. We know what needs to be prayed and we know what needs to be said. But 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 our prayers are, 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 are you know, we struggle sometimes with prayer. But you know what? Jesus takes those prayers and presents them before the Father and makes them acceptable before God. He makes them a sweet savor to God. Amen. 
I, I, I don't feel that I'm saying things right sometimes when I pray. And many times the enemy is oppressing you and, and standing against you when you pray. But Jesus Christ takes our clumsy prayers and he perfumes those clumsy prayers through his intercession and he takes those prayers and offers them up before the throne of God as our great high priest and as our intercessor. And when our prayers come before the throne of God, they are a, a, a sweet savor to the Lord. He hears and he's, he, he's, 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 uh, he hears and he answers and our prayers mean something to God. Amen? Praise God. So the angel takes the censer of prayer that's been perfumed with intercession, and what does he do with it? He takes those prayers that are ascended, uh, that, that, that ascend before God, he takes those prayers and he hurls them perfumed with intercession, hurls them back to the earth. Now these prayers are more than likely probably prayers of saints, the saints that were under the altar in Revelation chapter 6 that were praying for, for the Lord to, to avenge them of those who had taken their life on the earth and martyred them. They're the prayers of these tribulation saints that are on the earth during the tribulation period that are praying. You know, they are battling persecution. They're being martyred. They're praying against that God would do something about what is happening. And it seems like that those prayers are not being answered, but they are being answered here. For 2,000 years, folks, God's people have prayed. And we have prayed that prayer, that part of that Lord's Prayer that says, Your kingdom come, Your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. And I'm telling you, when we look at the conditions of the world today, it doesn't look like His will's being done. It doesn't look like his kingdom's being, but I'm telling you, he's got a kingdom in this earth today, in, in you, in me, in the church, but his literal kingdom is going to come. The prayer of the church for the last 2,000 years for the coming kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, for the kingdom of God, is going to be answered. God's will is going to be done in this earth. Evil is going to be defeated and going to be put down. Praise God, there's victory ahead. The prayer of the saints have been heard and they will be answered. Come on, amen. I believe that tonight. Praise God. These prayers have been kept and they're mingled with the fire of the finished work of Christ from that altar and will soon be answered. Now there's power. There's power in the prayers of the saints. So even though your prayers may feel ineffective at times, you need to understand that they're powerful. So keep praying. Don't stop. Keep believing. Amen? Do you know who the most powerful people in this world are? I'm going to tell you, the most powerful people in this world are not the politicians. Amen? The most powerful people in this world are not the kings and the queens and the dictators and the presidents and the generals. They're not the celebrities or those who are wealthy, but the most powerful people on the face of this earth today are the men and women, the believers who believe in God, who believe in prayer, who believe that God still hears and answers prayer, and those believers that know how to pray. Your prayers, when they're mingled with the work of the 
cross with that intercessory incense of Jesus Christ. Have power with God. More power than you can ever dream. More power than you can ever imagine. And God is saying in heaven, Everybody be quiet. My children are praying. And when you pray, you have the Father's attention. Praise God. And you're going to reach that tipping point as these prayers did where they were filled with fire from off the altar and then dumped out onto the earth. The answers came and your answer will come. Don't give up. Keep on praying. Amen. Keep on praying. Praise the Lord. So, we see that scene in heaven, and then that angel, verse 5, he takes the censer filled with the fire from the altar, and he threw it to the earth, and there were noises, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. So the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. When the angel takes that censer with fire from the altar and throws it to the earth. There's noises, there's thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. What is that telling us? They're indications of what's getting ready to take place. They're indications of of the fact that judgment is about to come on the earth. Now, you know... I know it's not popular to talk about and to preach or to teach about judgment in this day of grace that we're living in. We are in in the dispensation of grace, but the grace revolution and some of the teaching that comes from that, uh, you know, I don't think they believe that there's going to be any judgment whatsoever. Well, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ. There is no judgment. We're not going... Those who are in Jesus Christ, living for Christ, are not going to be condemned or judged or placed in hell. You know, a lot of people don't don't believe that, that you can really know that you're saved or that you're going to heaven until you get there. And then you'll stand before God and He'll tell you whether you're going to heaven or not, whether you can get in or not. Well, that's not true. Amen? We can know today, right now. I have the assurance right now. I know that right now, because of my faith in Christ, I am sure from heaven, for heaven. There is no doubt in my mind or in my heart. If there's any doubt tonight in your mind whether or not you're going to heaven, well, you need to, you need to get that you need to get that settled with Jesus because you can know that you know that you know that you're on your way to heaven. Amen. And some people say, well, you just never know until you get there, and then God will let you know. Now, you can know it now that you're on your way to heaven. But there is judgment that is going to come. Christians are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and be judged for our works. But that's not going to be a judgment to determine whether we go to heaven or not. We're going to be judged for what we did down here and receive either receive reward or lose reward by because of what we've done for the Lord. But judgment, someone said this, and I thought this was really good. When you talk about judgment and judgment that's going to come on the earth, what is judgment? Judgment is merely the opposite side of rejected love and mercy. Judgment is the opposite side of rejected love and mercy. 
men have rejected God's love. They've rejected His grace. That He has offered to them His, his mercy. They've, you know, they've rejected His Son. They've spurned the love of God. They've slaughtered millions of believers who've refused to deny Jesus here during this tribulation time, that refused to take the mark of the beast. They've spurned the, the mercy of God. And so there's nothing left for them but the wrath and the judgment of God. And anybody who spurns and turns away from the love of God will eventually face the judgment of God. So we don't have to go through that judgment. We can be saved now. And so that's what we're getting ready to see with the sounding of these seven trumpets. Paul said in Acts 17, 31, that God has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness. Paul said also in Romans 1 and 18 that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. Psalm 96.13 says this, For He is coming, for He is coming to judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with His truth. So what we're getting ready to read here in this 8th chapter of Revelation may seem far-fetched, it may seem hard to believe. Some of the things we're going to read, you might say, Pastor Rick, I don't, I don't see how that could be possible, how that could happen. But let me tell you something. These prophecies in this chapter must be taken literally. This is not science fiction. Now, what we're going to read here tonight sounds like a science fiction movie. I know Brother Mark likes science fiction stuff, and, and, and uh, there's the, the, it, this is what this sounds like. Man, this would make a good science fiction movie and probably has already been made into one. But it's not science fiction. This is actually actual events that are going to happen, that will literally happen when these trumpets sound. So in verse number 7, let's look at that. Verse number 7 says, the first angel sounded. <clears throat> the first angel sounded his trumpet, and hail and fire followed, mingled with blood, and they were thrown, into, they were thrown to the earth, and a third part of the trees were burned up, and all green grass was burned up. So notice here with the sounding of that first trumpet, it releases that judgment. And it says that a third of the, wor of the world faces some irreversible damage beginning with the ve vegetation. It says that the, a third of the trees are burned up and all green grass is burned up. You know, today when you have a, 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 a wildfire or a forest fire, and you see a lot of times those those fires in California that are just totally out of control. And they talk about how that uh, the damage, you know, they measure it in miles or in acres. But under this first trumpet judgment, folks, the judgment is not going to be measured by miles or acres, but it's going to be measured by countries and by continents. That's how, that's how devastating it's going to be. When this judgment falls, the ecology of the entire earth will be turned completely upside down. 
there will be. And we've already talked about in those seals some of the things that happen and the famine and the war and the different things. But there will be during this time complete economic collapse, food shortages, massive property damage from the fires. Insurance companies are going to be pulling their hair out. They're going to be going, many of them probably will go bankrupt. And uh, when all of this takes place, you know, so much for the, for the Green New Deal, you know, when all this begins to take place, uh, they're not going to have any control over. You talk about climate change. Yeah, yeah, they're going to have some climate change. But it's not going to be like they're thinking or like they're hoping for. Most of the earth's vegetation, according to this verse, most of the earth's vegetation is going to be annihilated. It said here that all green grass was burned up. Now, that word there that's used for grass is an all-inclusive word, and it literally just means vegetation. So it includes not just, not just your lawn, you know, not just your yard, the grass that you have to mow, but it includes other vegetation. It includes crops such as grain and rice and wheat and corn and oats and other plant life. But a, but a third of that, or all of that, much of that is going to be completely burned up during this particular plague. There, a third of the trees will be burned up, which not only speaks of oak trees and walnut trees. I've got a walnut tree that we need to get rid of. But, um, but also of fruit trees. Those will also be burned up, as it says here in this passage. There will be famine. There'll be floods, there'll be erosion, there'll be mudslides. I told you this is going to be a big positive message. There'll be air pollution, solar blackouts, such as never has been imagined to be possible. And there is no reason, ladies and gentlemen, to not take this as something that is literally going to happen. And I know there are those that try to spiritualize this, they try to allegorize it. They try to, to, uh, to use it as symbolism for different things. But I believe that God has given us His Word and literally said exactly what is going to happen. And so these are things that are going to take place in, during this trumpet, the sounding of this trumpet. Now, you know, we, we, we know that, that this has happened before. Are y'all with me? Well, I don't ever remember it happening before. Well, in the Bible, it has God has done this before. This is what we just read about here at the sounding of this first trumpet is very similar to the tenth plague that God brought in Egypt. You remember the plagues that were brought in Egypt to Pharaoh? And that tenth plague... In Exodus chapter 9, verse 22, it says that the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt, on man and beast, and on every herb of the field throughout the land of Egypt. And Moses stretched out his rod toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail, and fire darted on the ground. Now, do you believe that really happened? 
Was this symbolic of something? No. It actually happened. This plague came upon Egypt because of Pharaoh's hardened heart and refusal to obey God. What happened to Pharaoh? He resisted mercy and he got the other side of that mercy which was judgment. Resisted, rejected mercy brings judgment. This was a literal, literally something that took place. The Lord sent this. There was hail. Verse 23, there was hail. Uh, and fire mingled with the hail. Listen, verse 24 says, So very heavy that there was none like it in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. And the hail struck throughout the whole land of Egypt. And all that was in the field, both man and beast, and the hail struck every herb of the field and broke every tree of the field. So just like this plague, the hail that God sent here in Egypt will be similar. The similar thing will happen in the tribulation period. Hail, fire, mingled with blood, thrown to the earth. That will destroy a third of the trees and the green grass, according to the Scripture. Now, it said that they was mingled with blood. Somebody said, well, what does that mean? In the Exodus plague, the hail destroyed the vegetation, but it also destroyed, as we read there, both man and beast. Everybody that was out in outside when that hail storm came was destroyed and killed by that hail. So those that are, inv- that are outside in this hail, there will be a lot of people who will be caught in it and will die. The hail, the fire will be mingled with blood. Now... There are those, there are those that believe and teach that what we've read here at the sounding of this first trumpet could be the result of a nuclear exchange. That it's possible that because of some of the things that's described here, and of course John didn't know anything about nuclear weapons, so he's describing what he sees. He's describing what he sees. But let me give you a couple of quotes, okay? A couple of quotes. John Corson, and uh, in his commentary, he makes this statement. He says it is very possible concerning this first trumpet. He makes this statement. It's very possible that these trumpet judgments that include flowing blood, pelting hail, and consuming fire... Describe what would happen in a nuclear holocaust. Keep in mind, he says, history verifies that weapon systems have never been developed that have not been used. Therefore, it would be an aberration of history if all of the countries that presently have nuclear weapons, including Russia, France, England, Israel, India, China, and the U.S., and a host of others, and I just heard today, Iran probably does. Man, when you get rogue nations like that get nuclear weapons, this very well could be describing here a nuclear exchange. But other nations, uh, these other nations, and, and a host of others that have failed to use them. 
He says this, I am not saying this passage can only refer to a nuclear holocaust. However, the fact remains that upon the detonation of a nuclear warhead, 250 mile per hour winds of fire follow. In addition, above ground nuclear tests on the island of Bikini caused the surrounding water to shoot thousands of feet into the air where it froze and returned as hailstones big enough to destroy the equipment intended to monitor it. Did you, did you hear that? So that is a proven fact that has already happened um, at the testing of some of these nuclear weapons. Dr. Ed Heinsen, some of you may be familiar with him, He's a prophecy teacher, and he said these trumpets may be associated with nuclear chemical warfare. The devastation they predict was unknown and unfathomable in the ancient world. These destructions are certainly beyond anything known by the people of John's day, which makes the apocalypse all the more fascinating. There is no way John could have imagined these great catastrophes had he not seen them by divine permission in these visions. The cataclysmic destruction he pictures certainly sounds like the devastating effects of a nuclear war. So, is, is that... You know, is that going to happen? Very, very likely. Now, I've preached to you that this, this, this world will not be destroyed by nuclear weapons. We know that. But will there be nuclear exchanges during the wars that will take place in the near future? Probably so. We've saw threats from, you know, Russia and different ones lately, you know, that, uh, you know, don't, 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 don't push us, you know, you're pushing us. Uh, so it could happen. And these, these things that we read about here in Revelation could be what John was seeing. He could have been seeing uh, the results of a nuclear war. It is possible, but it's going to be devastating. In verse number 8, He says, Then the second angel sounded, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. And a third of the sea became blood, and a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. So notice the sounding of the second trumpet brings now devastation to the sea, to the ocean. The first trumpet brought devastation to the earth, But now we see here a massive, poisoned, burning something will be thrown into the sea. And John compares it to a great mountain that's burning with fire. So many feel possibly this will be a giant meteor that will fall from the heavens. Of course, in Revelation chapter 6, we read back there that, that John saw the stars of the sky fall to the earth like figs fallen from a tree that was shaken of a mighty wind, stars falling from the heaven. So possibly this is a giant meteor that will fall. Whatever it is, um, 
It is not a natural disaster. This is an intentional thing. It is thrown. He said that this, this mighty great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. It was thrown into the ocean. Some feel maybe that it, was just, it will just cover the Mediterranean Sea. It doesn't say. But it will be thrown into the sea. Someone had to throw it. This, 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 um, this particular trumpet judgment will bring about a third of the sea, cause a third of the sea to become blood, a third of the marine life to be destroyed, and a third of the ships on the ocean to be wrecked. This, whatever this is, will cause, someone else has even said this could be, again, a nuclear explosion in the ocean, so that causes this as well. But it will cause a giant tsunami that will be large enough to overturn, sink, or to carry far into shore a third of all the ships that are on the ocean. According to statistics that I read in 2016, the number of ships on the ocean at any given time was around 50,000 ships on the sea. That means, using that number, that nearly 17,000 ships and crew would be destroyed by this plague. Again, going back to what some of the commentators said, and I, I looked at some of the things that took place at the nuclear tests on the island of Bikini back in the 50s but uh, when they when they detonated one of those atomic bombs there that created a tsunami in the ocean that uh, that had waves that were 94 feet high so something along this line will be so catastrophic that it will literally wipe out many of the ships on the ocean their crews and the ships be destroyed. Great damage will come to the supply lines. Food supplies will be greatly reduced. Again, we repeat that there'll be economic disaster. And uh, because the world is so dependent, we've seen this last year, you know, around Christmas time when all the ships were, were, were not able to get unloaded and get their supplies to people. There were shortages of everything. And they're saying we can see that again this year. But there will be, um, you know, because we we're so dependent upon the resources we get from ships. A lot of cargo, food, other things will be lost. There will be ecological problems that will result from these destroyed, from the many destroyed oil tankers that will be destroyed. Other hazardous materials that will be, that will be forced to flow into the sea, into the ocean. When you think about what took place in 2010 with the explosion of Deepwater Horizon off the shore, off the Gulf of Mexico and the oil spill that took place and all of the you know, I, I remember looking at pictures of that and I thought of that today and I pulled it up and I remember back in 2010 when they were showing that on TV some of the ocean at that particular time with all that oil in it had a reddish tint to it and it looked like it looked like coagulated blood the sea actually looked like coagulated blood from the oil all the billions of gallons of oil that spilled into the gulf and into the ocean I looked at some pictures of that today I saw a picture online to today of a man that was standing by on, on a beach. I don't know where it was, but it was during this time uh, of that, of that um, 
of that tremendous oil spill. And he was standing on a beach, and the whole sand in front of him was just looked red. It was reddish tint. And the wave was coming in, and the wave was actually red that was coming in, made that color by the oil spill. So, you know, um, could that be, you know, we know that if, that if 17,000 ships are destroyed, many of those ships will be you know, have a cargo of oil that will be dumped into the oceans. But you know what? I believe that, uh, that there's something about this great mountain that will cause the sea to turn into blood. And uh, when God said that the sea will be turned into blood, I don't believe that it's just going to be uh, a tainted color because of an oil spill. But I do believe that when God said the waters of that sea will be turned into blood, that it will literally be turned into blood as a judgment of God upon this earth. Are, are you still with with me. Fishing companies are going to have to close their doors. The economies of many coastal countries are going to literally implode. The world will be reeling in the face of this judgment. This same plague took place in Egypt when Moses and Aaron went to Egypt. One of the first things that happened was when, when Pharaoh refused to let the people go, it said that, that the Lord commanded Moses to lift up his rod. He struck the waters of the river and in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants that all the waters that were in the river were turned to blood. The fish that were in the river died. The river stank. The Egyptians could not drink the water of the river so there was blood throughout the land of Egypt. The psalmist in Psalm 105 29 writing about that said God turned their waters into blood and killed their fish. That will happen during the sounding of this second trumpet. These things, ladies and gentlemen, I want to remind you again, are literally going to happen. Let's move on. i got five minutes. Verse 10, the third angel sounded, and a great star fell from heaven burning like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water, and the name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became wormwood, and many men died from the water because it was made bitter. The third trumpet judgment causes devastation of the fresh water supply. The other trump, the second trumpet, trumpet was over the salt water, the seas. But now the fresh water supply is affected. A star called Wormwood crashes to the earth. Again, could be also a meteor strike. Wormwood means bitterness is what it means. It means bitterness. And it falls upon the fountains of fresh water, causes those fountains of fresh water to become poisons. And many, many thousands of people are going to die from drinking these tainted waters. The poison from this plague in these water in this fresh water supply will be too strong for modern decontamination techniques or water purification systems. There will be, there will be, because of this particular judgment, an extreme shortage of safe drinking water for the world. It'll be scarce. Not only will food be scarce, but now drinking water will be scarce. It will be as gold. 
You know, in the Bible, in Exodus chapter 15, remember when Israel came out of Egypt. And uh, they crossed the Red Sea. And they traveled for three days. And they didn't have any water. And finally, after three days, they came upon a place called Mara. And there was a, a pool of water there. But when they got to Mara, they couldn't drink of the water because it said the waters there were bitter. They were poison. They couldn't drink of it. But the Lord told Moses what to do. Remember? He showed him a tree, and he said, take that tree, cut it down, and cast it into the waters. And when Moses took that tree and cast it into the waters, the water became sweet. You know what that tree is a picture of, don't you? You know what that tree that Moses put in that bitter water that made it sweet? It's a picture of the cross. It's a picture of Calvary. And when you, when you add the cross to the bitter waters of life, you know what it does? It brings sweetness. It brings healing. The bitter waters were healed when the tree was added to it. When you put, when you put your faith in Christ and the cross, amen, those, those bitter waters of life are made street, sweet. But here... Those who rejected the Lord Jesus Christ, those who have rejected His work on the cross, will be forced to drink the bitter water of tribulation. Verse number 12, then the fourth angel sounded. We are about done. Are you all doing okay? All right. The fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon, a third of the stars. And a third of them was darkened, a third of the day did not shine, and likewise the night. When this fourth angel sounds his trumpet, the skies are going to be totally changed because God's going to turn down the power of the sun, the moon, and the stars. The power... Of the sun, the moon, the stars will be reduced by a third. It says that a third of the day did not shine, and likewise the night. For a third of the day and a third of the night, the earth will be plunged into utter darkness. This will be an unusual eclipse of some sort. I was going to bring that picture in tonight, but you all know the picture I'm talking about that sets out in the foyer. Kevin Russell took that picture back in 2017 when we had that total eclipse of the sun. Remember that? I mean, again, Vicki and I were on vacation at that time. It was just, um, it was in August the 21st, I believe was the, the date, but we were out of town. But Kevin had his uh, drone out here. And he had reposted the memory of that on, on Facebook the other day when he, he videotaped above the church. It's an awesome video if you haven't seen it. He videoed above the church. It was just broad daylight. I think this eclipse happened around noon or early afternoon. Broad daylight. And it sh you could see everything growing dark, darker, darker. The lights, the outside lights of the church all came on. He panned around the area of Farmington, and it was just here at noonday. It was like it was the middle of the night. Lights, street lights, everything was on everywhere. It was dark, a part of the day. Now, it didn't last very long. 
just lasted a little while, and then you could see it lighten up again. But we got the picture of that out there in the foyer. But during these hours, the light of the sun that's going to take place during the tribulation period, the light of the sun, the light of the sun is gone. Its reflection on the moon is gone. The light from the stars is obscured. There will be a 33% reduction in the light of the sun, moon, and stars. A third less light during the day. People that like daylight savings time is going to love this. Amen. They're gonna, there's going to be a third less a reduction of light of the sun, the moon, and the stars. And during the night, 33% darker than usual. This will affect growing seasons, weather and patterns, plant life, temperatures, and it will affect the emotional health of mankind. There's just something about, you know, daylight and long days that just makes you feel better. In the, in, the, in the winter time, when it gets dark at 5 o'clock, and you get up and go to work in the dark, and you go to get home in the dark, Bob knows what that's all about. It just seems like there's no, there's no daytime. But this is, this is going to be the situation at this particular time. 33% less day light in the daytime. So, the judgment... That same judgment was brought upon Egypt. You can read about it in Exodus 10. God smote Egypt with a thick darkness in the land for three days. People couldn't even see one another. It was pitch black. He turned the lights off. God turned the lights off for three hours at Calvary. Is that right? From noon to three o'clock. There was, there was, and that was not an eclipse. I preached on that a few, a few weeks back or a few months back. But because it was, it was during Passover, it was a full moon, there was no eclipse. But, but what happened was God turned off the lights. He's going to do the same thing during this particular judgment. Jesus himself said that this would happen during the tribulation. In Luke 21, 25, and 26, he said there will be signs in the sun, in the moon, and in the stars, and on the earth distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, and men's hearts failing them for fear and of the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth for the powers of heaven will be shaken. Amos prophesied it in Amos 8 and 9, said it shall come to pass in that day, says the Lord God, that I will make the sun go down at noon, and I will darken the earth in the broad daylight. It's going to happen during this trumpet judgment. Amen? It's going to happen. God's going to be doing everything to try to bring, number one, to bring people to Him but also there will be judgment upon those who refuse him. Verse 13, and we're done. And I looked and I heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice. Now we've had four trumpets, right? Boom, 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 right in succession. And this, this angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, notice, Woe! 
Woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the remaining blasts of the trumpet of the three angels who were about to sound. Three angels are left. Three angels remain to sound their trumpets. And the announcement is given that these last three will be worse. The worst is yet to come. You know, I like to preach on the best is yet to come. And I believe for the church, for the believer, the best is yet to come. But for those who are left behind, miss the rapture, are here for that tribulation, those last three trumpets are going to be worse than the first four. The first four trumpets dealt with the arena of the natural. The last three trumpets, the three woes, will deal with the elements and with the realm of the supernatural, specifically with demonic activity. So we'll see next week, chapter 9, demon spirits that are loosed on this earth during the tribulation period to destroy and to do their work. See, God warns man, but he pays no attention. Like Pharaoh, hearts are hardened to the judgment of God. I believe the liberal news media, I don't know how they'll try to explain all this away, but they'll have something, you know, they'll say, they'll say, well, you know, this, 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 is, this is not judgment. This is not anything like that. What's happening, all this is taking place because of climate change. You know, I'm sure that'll be their answer. It's those fossil fuels. It's all of that. See, we should have been, we all should have been in driving electric cars. This wouldn't have happened. Glory to God. But when we look at this, we think, you know, dear God, how can this happen? How could all this be? It sounds like a science fiction movie. How could it take place? But it will. Because God is in control of those judgments. And it will happen just as his book says. Jesus said that the powers of heaven, the very powers of heaven, will be shaken. Paul said that the things, God said, I'm going to shake the heavens. I'm going to shake the earth. I'm going to shake everything. It's going to be shook up. There's going to be a whole lot of shaking going on. But he went on to say in Hebrews 12 that the things that cannot be shaken will remain. Amen. The church, the church is not going to be shaken in these last days. Prior to the rapture, we're not going to be shaken. We got to be strong. We got to be ready for the coming of the Lord, for the rapture of the church. Amen. I still believe in that pre-tribulation rapture. Do you believe me? Do you believe the Bible teaches that? Amen. I still believe it. Somebody said, well, what if you're wrong? Well, I told him the other day. I, said, I don't remember who it was. I said, well, I'll tell you this. I said, if the Antichrist comes on the scene and he signs that seven-year treaty, and all this stuff starts happening and those scriptures being fulfilled. And I look around and the church is still here. I'll say, well, I guess we missed that one. 
But I don't believe that's going to be the way that it is. Amen? I am looking for the coming of Jesus for His church. These things that are taking place, He said, Woe to the inhabitants of where? The earth. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth for these, these next three trumpets. Well, guess what? We, the church, are not going to be a part of the inhabitants of the earth when those trumpets are sounding and blaring. We're going to be inhabiting heaven with the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? So let's make sure that we're ready to go when the trumpet sounds. Amen. Father, thank you for your blessings tonight, for your word. Help us to just be able to, Lord, to digest what we've heard tonight, plant it and sow it deep in our hearts, and we give you the praise for it all in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you all. Have a great week. Look forward to seeing you all on Sunday. We will have prayer meeting Saturday, okay? Prayer meeting Saturday at 11. God bless you. We love and appreciate you.